It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. I'm your host. I'm one of the financial advisors. My name's Mike Bernard, along with certified financial planners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Hey, how do you know if you're on track to retire at the time you want with the lifestyle that you're accustomed to? Mm -hmm. This is one of financial planning's biggest questions, and we're going to be hitting it today on the show. We'll be tackling it for you. That's right. Every week, this is your show, folks. Uh, Let us know what you are thinking about financially, what questions you have. Visit us at wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question right there and catch up on previous episodes. Or if you're driving, give us a call, 574-222-2000. Lastly, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Wise Money Radio. You can leave questions that way. Check out the blog posts, all of that sort of stuff. Stay connected throughout the week. All right, before we dive into that question, Kevin and I actually spent, oh, the second half of last weekend and the first half of this week at a pretty interesting place, Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, had a good time. I learned three things about Nashville. One, Watch out for the brisket. It is delicious. <laughs> One of our colleagues, Evan Stark, came. I think, what did he top out at? 72 brisket burgers in four days? Yeah, we um, we haven't had the courage to tell his wife yet. <laughs> Hopefully <but>. she's listening. <laughs> Second thing I know, unbelievable music. And, of course, they call it Music City, but unbelievable. Got to, I mean, really, wherever you go, there's someone playing music. And, uh, it's, it, I mean, there's stars. And last thing, and this is near and dear to my heart, hockey fans. Oh, yeah. So we happen to be there, and I know a lot of you listening are Blackhawk fans, and this might hurt you a little bit. I'm a Red Wings fan. My feelings got hurt a long time ago. Uh, but we were in town when they were able to close out the series against Anaheim, and when we were able to go, it was awesome. That town loves hockey. Very, very cool experience. So anyway, uh, we were down there uh, for a conference, a conference that we've attended before. It's an It's an area, it's a niche part of the financial advisory business that we've been in tune with for a long time, Um, but they rotate their conference throughout the year, and this time it was in Nashville. The conference was about being a fiduciary, and before you think I just sneeze, so just watch out. This is, is, normally it's a jargon-free zone. We're going to hit some jargon here, but but basically, uh, the financial advisors at Corhorn Financial Group, we are fiduciaries. We've always been a fiduciary, but there's actually been some pretty big movement in the financial advisory industry, uh, making this rule of being a fiduciary a little more common, a little more, I don't know, a little more required. That's kind of the direction we're going. So I thought it'd be good to just break that down a little bit. First of all, what in the world is a fiduciary? How would you define that? So the organization that we were there with uh, at the conference, they define it in this way. A fiduciary is someone who is managing the assets of another person and stands in a special relationship of trust, confidence, and legal responsibility. Hmm. How would you, what would you add to that, Josh? Well, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't at the conference. I didn't hear that definition. But like you said, I mean, we've been held to a fiduciary standard, at least the, the duty of care yeah. of a fiduciary, because we're certified financial planners, right? We yep. have a code of ethics and we have 
professional standards that we're held to. And, you know, I've always thought of being a fiduciary as, um, you know, it's, it's a professional who's doing financial planning and is therefore held to a standard where they have to place the interests of the client ahead of his or her own. Yeah. And so to me, doing what's best for the client, that's yeah. how I think of a fiduciary. And it's tricky because if you're not bound by the fiduciary side of the house, you're bound by the other side, which is suitability. Well, let, let, we haven't even gotten there yet. So, so who does this apply to? You would think that all financial advisors are managing the assets of another person until they stand in that special relationship of trust and confidence and all of that. You'd think all financial advisors are like that, but that's actually not true. Right now, if you're a financial advisor, you can actually serve people, serve the community in two different ways. One of them, Kevin already mentioned, under the suitability rules. The other is under the fiduciary rule. The way Josh said, fiduciaries have to or are bound to give advice that's in your best interest. So think about this. Here's, here's a quick analogy. So think about buying a car. The suitability rule would say, well, the person who's going to help you buy the car needs to make sure that you legally have a license and that you have insurance. And then after that, they can sell you whatever car they can talk you into. But a fiduciary is someone who, yeah, needs to make sure you legally can drive a car, that you've got a license, that you've got insurance, but then they're going to go deeper and say, all right, well, how many people are in your family? How far do you drive to work? And what's important to you? And then from that information can then say, you know what, based on all of that, I actually think you need this vehicle over here. This is the best one to suit your situation. That's... I, I, hopefully that gets across, but there's a different standard in financial advisors. You can be a, uh, under the suitability guidelines where you can just say, well, check these boxes and actually I'm going to try and sell you this over here. Or you could be a fiduciary where you not only review all those legal requirements, but then say, all right, this is what I'd recommend. This is what I feel is in your best interest. And so at Corhorn Financial Group, we have been on the fiduciary side of the house with about 95% of the way that we help our clients and serve our clients. There are certain products and services that are actually better for the client on the suitability side of the house. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because when you hear it broken down like that, you think, well, if there's a fiduciary which is looking out for a client's best interest and putting a client's best interest ahead of mine, that's got to be superior. And the other th component that I would add to that is the way that a fiduciary gets paid is very clear. There's no mystery. Yeah. There's, um, it's as close to conflict-free as it can get. I, I would argue there's no such thing as conflict-free advice, um, but it's as close to conflict-free as you can get. On the suitability side, if someone meets certain criteria and their situation passes through a certain filter, the advisor can sell them whatever they can get the person to buy. So you would say, well, therefore, people that operate on the suitability side of the house must all be scoundrels. And I would argue that that's actually not the case. And I know many of my peers in the industry, certainly many of my peers in town that have operated very well on the suitability side of the house and taken great care of their clients and have met a standard where they actually have put their client's interest ahead of theirs. It's just the way that they got paid mm -hmm. and what they were deemed was different. So they were under the suitability standard and they got paid on a commission 
uh, versus a, a levelized compensation program. And so the trick is with a commission, if you've got product A that pays a commission of 1% and product B that pays a commission of 3%, which product are you going to be tempted to sell to the client? Mm-hmm. And so we say, look, we don't want any of those conflicts. We, so, so why are we even talking about this, though, ultimately? So f- basically, financial advisors do stand in this special relationship of trust. And so the DOL, Department of Labor, has come out with a rule basically turning all financial advisors into follow this fiduciary rule. And the first wave of this rule is supposed to take effect on June 9th, unless there's some sort of delay, which the Department of Labor is saying there shouldn't be. Um, with the rest, with the full rule taking effect 1-1 of 2018. So now they're basically kind of shoveling all financial advisors into follow this rule of of being a fiduciary. I do not like more regulation. I wish that the marketplace would have been able to distinguish between the two. And if it's better for people in the marketplace uh, to be served by fiduciaries, that the public would have just turned that way. So I don't like additional regulation. However, I do feel that financial advisors do stand in that special relationship and should always make advice that's in your best interest, truly. It's hard, though, to think that the government's going to be able to come out with a rule that actually gets this carried out in the spirit that it was intended. Yeah. Because you can't, the government can't regulate good character, right? You can uh, be deemed to be held to a fiduciary standard and still violate it, so you still have to seek out a professional that you ultimately can trust, and you will know whether or not they are acting in your best interest over time. Mm-hmm. That's why trust is, is the most important element when you're uh, trying to create a relationship with a financial advisor. Yeah, think of a household name who is a fiduciary that everyone knows, Bernie Madoff. Yeah. So yeah. Bernie Madoff was a fiduciary, and basically the case that he presents is that if you are a scoundrel, and you're willing to steal people's money, uh, you can, it doesn't matter whether you're under a suitability standard, a fiduciary standard, or anything else in the world, you're going to steal people's money. All right. Well, like we've always said, seek out the advice of a certified financial planner. They are fiduciaries. Okay. Um, All right. We've got a great question from Tom coming up about how do you know if you're on track to retire? We've got that and much more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thanks for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard, alongside Joshua Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern & Keene, as well as First State Bank, for sponsoring the content of today's program. We've been talking about this nasty, gnarly thing called a fiduciary. It's actually not as scary as it sounds. And we're about to transition into a great question from listener Tom. If you have a question, give us a call, 574-222-2000, or reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com, and we will air that question and answer it on an upcoming show. So here's my question to you, folks. Do you know where you stand with your retirement goal? Are you on track? If you are, do you know what you need to keep doing? And if you're not, do you know what you need to start doing? That's essentially Tom's question, and we're going to tackle it right now. Hi, this is Tom from Granger, and uh, just wondering if there was a uh, a formula 
a mathematic formula to figure out at a certain age, if your goal is to retire at a specific age and your current salary, if you could linearly go out and say, I need this much to retire at 60 or at 65 or at 70 years old, when I start planning my financing investments, what type of formula is there to, uh, you know, send that out into the future? Just instead of guesswork, say, I don't want, instead of me saying, I want a million dollars when I, when I retire at 65, is that realistic if I'm only making $40,000 a year at uh, 20 years old or 25 years old? Um, or how do you get to those numbers? Or what is, what is required in your current status as far as salary you're currently making at, let's say, 30 years old and you want to retire at 65 to live the same lifestyle that your income is at 30 years old at, let's say, $40,000 a year or $50,000 a year? What type of saving or investment do you need to make to retire on the same type of lifestyle or income level at 65? All right. Great. Thanks for that question, Tom. And yeah, you got to be tough with that. There were several questions in Tom's question there, but I guess in essence, he's asking, hey, if I'm a certain age and want to retire out there at some time I pick in the future, based on what I make today, what's the mathematical equation to figure out how much I need to have out there in the future? Great question, Tom. We get this all the time. Uh, however, Usually from engineers, by the way. Right. right. I, I'm guessing. I, Tom, I you, need to, you need to email back with your profession because that, <laughs> that does seem like an engineer type question. We get it all the time. It, unfortunately, it's not as linear as, as you'd like. So let's break it down. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we love about financial planning is that in the same way, Tom, your question was a minute and a half and there, there were multiple facets to that. What people want to know is what's the number? What's my number that I need when I get there? And then what should I be doing along the way? And that is a, that's a science question. You say, give me the math, give me the number. I want it to be black and white. And financial planning in your whole financial life is really the art side of the equation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about behavioral finance. We, we referenced being at a conference uh, earlier this week, and they were talking about that, how it's easy to convince someone to skip dessert a year from now than it is to convince them to skip dessert today at lunch. <laughs> and you say, well, why is that? That's, that's, it's very interesting that we're able to defer and say no to something that's out in the future. And so I love the fact that you're asking the question now because you should be asking the question now. If you wanted a rule of thumb, I would say save 15% of your income, period, and invest it. If you want to be able to get where you need to go, you need to be an investor, not a saver. And savers are folks that put their money in and just trade it for interest. And right now at the banks, you can get you know, a third to a half of 1%. That's not going to get you to where you want to go. So if you said, hey, oversimplify it, I'd say start with saving 15% of your income. And for those of you who just heard me say that and said, well, I can't, there's no way I can do that, you are right. Mm-hmm. As soon as you say I can't, right? Self-fulfilling right. prophecy? Yep, and I tell my kids almost every day, old man can't is dead. I buried him myself. <laughs> so what you want to be thinking about is, I okay, I can do it. I'm going to have to, not only am I going to have to skip dessert 
today at lunch, but there's there's a there's an amount of sacrifice in my life that's going to be required along the way in order for me to accomplish what I want to accomplish 20, 30, 40 years from now. You know, I've seen some pretty cool tools out there also, though, that create a, almost a benchmark or a, a measuring stick to know, am I on pace compared to what I ought to be? Yeah. Now, uh, w- one example of this would be uh, JP Morgan puts out uh, something that they call the Guide to Retirement. And one of the slides in this, uh, this little pub- publication is a retirement savings checkpoint. And it basically takes your age and whatever your income is, and it tells you where should you be at in your accumulation of retirement assets. So I'll give you an example. Someone who's 35 years old, if their family income is 75000 this little tool would say that you should have 1.6 times your household income accumulated. So that translates into about 120000 So it kind of gives you uh, a gauge. How am I doing compared to these rules of thumb? The problem is, uh, and and I do give them credit, they tell you what assumptions are built into this. They they say, hey, you're going to earn 6.5% on your money between now and retirement, and then when you get to retirement, you're going to earn 5%. You're going to retire at 65, and you're going to live off X. Well, that's great. The problem is those aren't your assumptions, Mm -hmm. right? Those are just some generic ones, and yes, it's a linear equation that they've created. The problem is it doesn't describe necessarily the retirement that you should be pursuing. Yeah, gosh, I want to get excited about that report. And maybe we can put that up on face, on, on Facebook, on the blog, so you can see it. But I, I would just, as malarkey, I mean, your financial situation is as unique as your DNA. It truly is. And I know you're tempted. I'm tempted to gauge my own progress compared to people that look just like me, yep. my neighbors, my family members. That's not how you gauge whether you're on track. And, and unfortunately, Tom, I would argue, unfortunately, J.P. Morgan, I'm sure you've spent a lot of time and money on that. And we're, we've talked about benchmarking, doing our own benchmarking of our, of our clients and so on. But, but your situation's as unique to you. You mentioned, Tom, in your question, um, how much do you need to save if you want to retire at 60 versus 62 or 65? One of the biggest things that stands out there is Social Security. Yep. I, I mean, how and when you draw Social Security is going to make a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand difference in your retirement. Second, do you have a pension? Third, what new expenses are going to come up in retirement that you're currently not living on right now? Extra travel or healthcare expenses, um, long-term care expenses. So you've got to have a very, very detailed, thorough discussion about what that goal is way out there, where you are today, and then you can map a a progress. But unfortunately, Tom, I would argue, I want to make it as easy as possible. I just don't think it's a linear equation. Well, I think what you're hitting on, though, is that the moment you change even one of those assumptions that were used in that equation, no longer does it really serve as a true benchmark for you. Yeah, right? it's it's not appropriate. There is no one size fits all when it comes to this. I, I remember I was painting my entire basement in one weekend with a sprayer. So I went out and bought one of these one size fits all coveralls like painters. Nice. I had them on for about <laughs> ten seconds. I bent down to tie my <laughs> shoes and split them right up the crotch. Oh, I wish I could uh, do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, 
One size does not fit all. That's one size fits no one. You right? could have, you would have fit in really well with us in Nashville. Got you a nice hat, <laughs> some brisket, some straw coming out of your mouth. But I, I see what you're saying. So so one of the uh, sessions that we went to in Nashville, there was one of my favorite financial nerds there, Michael Kitzes, speaking, and he actually was talking about sustainable mm. withdrawal rates. How do you withdraw money from your investments in retirement? He said something very profound. You change your inflation assumption. By a half a percent, it knocks 10 years off your retirement projection. If you're projecting that inflation is going to be 2.5% and it's actually 3, you go from running out of money at age 90 to money running out of money at age 80. It is that sensitive, folks. So we're talking, Tom, about having a very thorough process. We've got more to cover here, and, and I actually want to talk about our process here at Core and Financial Group, because Tom, you're looking for clarity and confidence. Most of you are. I think a certified financial planner can help you with that. So that and much more coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike. I've got Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn with me in the studio. Special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for making the Wise Money Show possible. So far, we've been talking a little bit about how you figure out if you're on track to retire and whether there's a simple, maybe one-size-fits-all calculation to help get you there. We're going to share with you a little bit about our process in just a moment. If you've missed anything, check out wisemoneyradio.com. You can pick up previous episodes. I think the previous 10 are right there, but the whole bank is there as well. You can There's a little link that you can listen to even our first show if you want to. We're not that good at that point, <laughs> at that point but hey, check it out. Uh, wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call 574-222-2000. Hey, I don't know. Casey, Casey were you good in your very first episode? You probably were. <laughs> You're a pro. Yes, I yes, was. Yes, I do. I knew it. I knew it. Anyway. All right. So we've been dissecting the question from listener Tom. And it's a great question. We get this all the time. If I could say it in uh, just kind of summarize it. It's looking for a mathematical formula to help you figure out, help him figure out, if I'm a certain age and want to retire at a certain age and keep my same standard of living, how much do I need to have saved up? Fair question, innocent question. It's not as easy as you'd think. You know, I, I actually see this on a pretty regular basis. Uh, many of you know that we we teach a class at Bethel College on retirement. So it's it's open to people who are within five to 10 years of retirement. They're coming in often already having a game plan in mind for retirement, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm just looking for some validation here. want to learn a thing or two. And often at some point in the class, there's kind of this aha moment where they realize, oh, maybe my game plan is a little too simplistic, right? Often it involves, hey, I'm, I'm going to retire at 62. And with the money I've got saved up, if I just draw 8% off of that every year, then I'm going to be able to live out my days just wonderfully. And that may be true, except they realize going through the class that, oh, you know what? Maybe I didn't account for inflation and that life's going to keep on getting more expensive. Or maybe I kind of have underestimated how long I'm going to live in retirement. This money needs to last longer than I ever thought that it, it should. 
And maybe I didn't realize that you actually these days can't just live off the interest on the nest egg that you've accumulated. You're probably going to be eating into the principal as time goes on. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, there's there's some assumption that they've been making in a in a very straight line, very basic analysis that they've done, and they realize, oh, well, when I include that that I've been missing into the analysis, maybe my game plan needs to change. Maybe I need to add a few years to my working career. And it's, it's kind of a wake-up call to them. And, um, you know, we, we don't ever like to be the bearer of bad news often, but um, the, the point is is that they figured out that the simplistic, linear way that Tom was kind of alluding to may not be the best way. Yeah. I think a lot of people approach retirement as if it's, you know, a, a stroll through the park, maybe, maybe a, long, a long day. But as you're packing up, you're thinking, well, I'm wearing shoes. I think I know what the weather's going to be. Maybe I'll bring a snack in my backpack, but otherwise I'm good to go. Maybe I'll grab a water, but otherwise I'm good. When, in fact, retirement is going to span decades. You're going to deal with health issues. You're going to deal with some financial crises, okay? Preparing for retirement's like climbing a mountain, getting up and getting down. You need to have tactical gear. You need to have training, and most likely you need a Sherpa, a guide, and that's what your certified financial planner can be for you. And, and just to segue a little bit into our process, I have a similar story, someone that I started working with very early on in my career, and he was an engineer, bright guy, very nice, nice guy, cared for him, still do care for him uh, greatly. And he came and had it all spreadsheeted out. All right, I've reached my number. I've saved up X amount. It, it happened to be a million. I don't think I can keep, that doesn't need to be confidential. Saved up my million bucks. And if I draw X percent out, that's how much I need to live. I'm going to spend 60 grand a year and we're all set. After doing the thorough analysis, I said, hey, I, I don't think there are some flaws here in your argument. I think you need to pause and, you know, I don't think you're ready to retire. He did anyway. And the first three years, instead of spending 65, including taxes and everything, he averaged spending 88000 a year. I think a lot of people underestimate how expensive it is to be in retirement when you're covering your healthcare costs. And plus, when you have more time on your hands. I don't know about you, but when I have more time, I spend more money. That's right. <laughs> I don't want to just sit there in front of the tube or read or whatever. You go out to dinner, you go out to lunch. And so, so I, I want to use that as a segue to talk a little bit about our thorough process uh, and, and what we've called on the show before the five factors. Yeah, you're alluding to these five decisions that folks get to make as they're developing their retirement plan. And as you make decisions in one area, it has impacts in, in the other five factors as well. The first one is what age are you going to retire at? Mm -hmm. You're kind of defining what's the starting point. We assume the finish line is already determined. You know, most people don't know what that is, but I always encourage people to, to recognize that the end of retirement may be a lot further out than you'd ever give yourself credit for. And, and it just keeps getting further out as life expectancies are expanding, not shrinking. So when you start retirement is really your opportunity to exert influence on how long retirement's going to be. That's right. And the longer it is, the more demands it places on your retirement nest egg, your resources, and it can really strain the family finances to the point where maybe your retirement's in jeopardy and you don't even realize it because you just started too early. And that's where our bias comes in and we say work with a certified financial planner to figure out what the trade-offs are if I retire earlier versus retiring later. What does it look like if I show me uh, some sort of modeling, which that seems like it'd be interesting to you, Tom, 
but what does it look like if I wait until 65 and then my wife and I are both on Medicare before we retire? What if I waited until 70 to maximize the social benefits? One of us worked until 70. What does that look like? And I would look at that. It's kind of like going to the mall and trying on clothes. You have to see what fits and what works well. And when you when you do that and, and you have a qualified person coaching you on the trade-offs, it's it's better, it's easier to come up with a good decision. I, as, as we say, the better the information that you're working with, the better the decision that you'll, that you'll make. I, I have a client who actually just called in uh, this week and said, you know what, even though I was planning to retire a couple years from now, um, my back is giving me problems um, worse than ever. I need to be done sooner. Mm-hmm. And so the age is not, it's, it's no longer negotiable in his eyes, right? And, and as soon as you kind of lock that one down, as soon as that cement dries, the other four have to be adjusted. The second one is how much do you spend in retirement? That's the second of the five factors. Obviously, it takes a lot larger nest egg to live off $70,000 a year as compared to $40,000 a year. And you need to be realistic, folks. This is where having a budget will really help you, but also then having a coach to say, hey, you might not have realized, but you're going to have this new expense in retirement or, um, you know, this expense that you're you're normally used to spending this, it's going to change in retirement. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, when we do late stage planning for people who are right on the eve of retirement, they need to be done soon or they want to be done soon. One of the, the most important exercises that we walk them through is building a budget, getting really clear on what your cash flow is right now and what do we think it will be as you transition into retirement. Um, the, the third area or the third factor is how much income are you going to have in retirement? There's not a ton of influence you can have on this one other than maybe delaying retirement a little bit longer, delaying when you draw Social Security, as Kevin was saying. The longer you wait, the more income that you'll receive from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't encourage people to uh, plan on having part-time income or working during retirement. Maybe they will. But as soon as you start planning on it, if it doesn't come to fruition, now all of a sudden you're putting your retirement uh, in jeopardy potentially. Fourth and fifth are connected. The fourth area is your investments or how much you have saved and how much you're able to save. Kevin said earlier that you should be saving 15%. I would tell you that's true from your very first paycheck. If you haven't been doing that and now you're 55, you probably need to save more. That's where we get into that. And then the fifth factor is how much risk you're willing to take in retirement. Some folks just say, hey, once I get into retirement, I can't stomach the ups and downs of the market. And so I'm going to go to low risk. Well, that just means if your retirement's going to last a couple decades, we're planning on very little growth. You need to have a lot more saved up. So see, those five factors are all interrelated and they're very, very deep. You've got to figure out where you're at in each of those and then work with a certified financial planner to coach you on the trade-offs. And, and that's the process that we, that we go through at, at KFG. That's the process that I'd recommend for you, Tom, or anyone else in a similar situation. We've got a great, great question from Dennis upcoming, wants to save up for his grandson's college, wants to know the best vehicle. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard, alongside Josh Gregory, alongside Kevin Corhorn. If you've missed anything, check out the podcast. You can do so at iTunes, Google Play, search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Or you can check it out online, wisemoneyradio.com. You have the previous 10 episodes right there, and you can pick up on anything that you've missed. Give us a call, 574-222-2000, if you have any questions, or you can leave a question right there on the website as well. All right, we're about to transition into a question from Dennis. But we're still still left a, a little bit of meat on the bone on Tom's question. Essentially, here's what Tom asked. Hey, if I'm a certain age and want to retire at a certain age, what's the mathematical formula for me to get there? How will I know through math how much I need to have saved up? And we talked about, really, it's not as simple as that, unfortunately. I wish it was, but your situation is extremely unique. Do you have a pension? Do you want to work part-time? Will you be spending more or less in retirement than what you're spending right now? Do you have any health issues that could shorten your life or shorten your work career? Um, so we suggest you go through a formal financial planning process. Yeah, I think what I would share with you, Tom, is that the if you save some money by not hiring a certified financial planner to walk you through this process, the money that you save, if you allocate it, by not hiring someone, if you allocate it towards your goal, will not likely not be the difference between whether or not you reach your goal. But if you do make the investment to hire someone to walk you through this, it could be the difference between whether or not you reach your goal or not. And most of the time, what we hear from folks is, man, we should have done this so much sooner. And now we, now we know what to do and you're kind of taking care of how we do it and all that. And so this is where I would encourage you to seek out a certified financial planner to walk you through this process. Yeah, it might make the difference in whether or not you achieve that goal. It may also make all the difference in what the journey feels like as well. You know, um, it, sometimes the hardest thing is just getting on the same page as your spouse. You may or may not agree on when retirement should begin or where you should be spending retirement, right? <laughs> I've had a lot of interesting questions that uh, center around those two things. <laughs> I really have. Really? We're not going to Florida. Uh, yeah, that's my dream. I want to I fish every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we've all seen it, and it's because you each have your own unique view of what retirement should look like. It's the merging of those two together so that you have one common goal that you're going to go plan for. That's really what the financial planning process should yield for you. And it's all about having clarity and confidence. Gosh, retirement is one of, if not the, biggest financial decisions that you'll make. And for most of us, it's a fairly permanent decision. You certainly want to walk through a more thorough process than just a a quick fix or a hunch, really. So great question, Tom. Gosh, we're not going to, that won't be the last time we answer that question, but hopefully that helped. Next question comes from Dennis from Michigan and, uh, and asks a great question about wanting to help save up for college for his grandson. Here's Dennis's question. 
This is Dennis, and I have a uh, five-year-old grandson, and I would like to start a college fund. What would be the minimum amount of dollars to invest in a program, and what would be the best program to invest in that over the term of uh, his high school or his, his education until he graduates? And we live in Michigan. Awesome. Great. Thanks for the question, Dennis. And I, I, if I can applaud you just before we even start answering the question, I love that you're wanting to help financially invest in the next generation. And, and that's and, every parent's dream, isn't it? That their parents <laughs> will right. help them. Dad, with... <laughs> Dad, I hope you're listening. Just kidding. No, great question, Dennis. And the fact that you live in Michigan, the fact that your grandson is five, they're all variables to help us uh, give you the best answer possible. So anytime we're talking about college, my mind goes to the 529 plan. This is a, a type of saving vehicle that was specifically designed. It was created for accumulating money for college. And uh, many states offer a 529 plan. You hear us on this show talk a lot about the Indiana plan because it has some unique benefits to it. If you live in Indiana and you find yourself feeling the exact same uh, ideas or, or feelings as Dennis here about wanting to help your grandkids consider the Indiana 529 plan. However, if you live outside of Indiana and you don't have the same tax incentives as Hoosiers do, there are still other states that you can uh, utilize their 529 plan. You don't have to use the one from your own home state necessarily. Well, in Michigan, they do have, Michigan uh, does have a plan. It gives you a deduction on your state tax return. And it's a deduction on the first 10000 that you contribute that year. However, be aware, they do net, they, the state nets out distributions. So if you're adding 10000 to one child's Michigan 529 plan, and you withdraw 10000 from the other child, you're not going to get a deduction. That's so right. it's, a, it's a net difference. And if Michigan state tax is around 5%, $10,000, you put that in, a uh, 5% deduction on that saves you about 500 bucks. So it's worth a look, depending on your tax situation. Uh, Dennis, the fact that you have a grandson, I'm not sure. Are you still working? I don't know what your, what your state tax situation is all about. I don't know if you need that deduction or not. But I agree, Josh. If it's for college, you start with the 529 plan and start with awareness of what benefits there could be from the state. Yeah, so if you're in Michigan, you're looking at the 529 plan because of the deduction you can get on your state income taxes. The minimum question is most of these plans you can start even as low as 25 bucks yeah. or or 100 bucks. If you want to just get started, you want to do something monthly, something along those lines. The the interesting question though is which is the best? And I would give you just a best practice or kind of a guiding principle. Before you do anything, make sure you have the financial conversation with the parents. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we've met folks where the parents have said, and we're kind of joking about how wonderful it would be if our folks were listening and they uh, shoveled <laughs> in a bunch of money for our kids' education. But and we've met uh, folks that didn't want any help. They, they said, listen, um, you know, Grandpa funded my education, but I'm going to fund my kid's education, and I, I want that, or I want my kids to, to, to have the it. privilege of funding their own, and I don't want any interference from any family members. So everyone looks at this differently, and so I would encourage you to make sure, as, as difficult and awkward as it can be, to have that conversation. 
Well, so same idea, maybe opposite scenario where grandpa or grandma has already started funding accounts for the grandkids. And, you know, now we're working with these parents and they say, hey, college for our kids is one of our main goals. But they didn't really know how to quantify the goal because they didn't really know what their parents had done for these grandkids. So coordinating efforts between the generations, I think, is really important. And, um, you know, I I agree with what you're saying, though, Kevin, that you you honor your kids, Dennis, by letting them be the decision maker on whether or not they take that help or, or not. So we talked about the 529 plan as an option. And another idea that I would give you, now your grandchild is five years old, so likely your grandchild doesn't have any earned income. Come on. But it... It's it's time. It's just about time, Dennis. Get him to work. But <laughs> it, but at the point at which your grandchild does have earned income, if your grandchild worked in the summer and made a thousand bucks, you could put that thousand dollars into a Roth IRA for your grandchild. Well, if we're just talking about you, you mentioned Dennis for college. I'd really want to emphasize that because the five twenty nine is a great investment tool, not only for that state deduction you can get when you contribute, but it also grows tax free. Uh, tax deferred comes out tax free if for college. You want to make sure that this money is for college. 529s are a little clunky, a little difficult to repurpose and say, well, instead of college, I'm just going to help you buy your first car. Well, one way you can repurpose them, though, is if that five-year-old turns out to be some genius that gets a uh, uh, a full ride to school. He's probably firstborn, so you know he's got that going for him. Um, <laughs> well, well said, firstborn. <laughs> thank, thank you. Um, but the the point is, you can roll those dollars down to another family member, a, a younger sibling or a cousin or something, if it turns out that this money isn't needed for their college. Yeah, and I would, I like that idea. So there is some flexibility in who it gets used for. But the other possibility is you say, I, my grandchildren don't have earned income, but my child does, and maybe my child isn't fully funding their own Roth IRA. Oh, I like that. Cause in, and the reality is, Grandpa, if Dennis, if you are working, as long as you're working and you have earned income, you can fund a Roth IRA. So I like the flexibility that a Roth will give you. Yeah, yeah. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the question, Dennison. Thanks for the question, Tom. That is all the time we have for today, folks. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, and myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.